This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. On this article of impeachment, 47 senators have pronounced Donald John Trump, President of the United States, guilty as charged. 53 senators have pronounced him not guilty as charged. Two-thirds of the senators present not having pronounced him guilty. The Senate adjudges that respondent Donald John Trump, President of the United States, is not guilty as charged in the second article of impeachment. Paul Violis is a CBS News security consultant, an accomplished author, and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert. With over 35 years of experience, he's dedicated his life to finding solutions for the problems that keep you up at night. This is Security Matters with Paul Violis. Welcome to Security Matters, where your security matters most. I'm Paul Violis, and this is a CBS News Radio production. Yes, acquittal, headlined everywhere, acquittal. The final stages of the impeachment of President Trump. We have to really talk about this today because obviously this is history making. Obviously this is something that we really need to sit back and digest as to what just happened in our country. Why is that so important? Well, because unfortunately we have a lot of folks uh, in the media, which I'm, I'm, sad to say, I'm sad to say, that have really not given this its due with respect to the facts. Um, we've heard an awful lot of reporting, an awful lot of reporting, that had to do with supporting the left side and having to do with supporting the right side. But, but how much reporting have we had on the facts? Uh, which is why, you know, I have my dear friend, CBS News Radio legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum, who's with us today, also, you know, an acclaimed legal scholar and a brilliant legal mind. So Thane is going to take us through this. And as, as you've heard the last two different episodes on the impeachment, Thane started with, tell us what this is about. And he educated us. And you, you guys probably remember how educated I was in that, which is great. And then the process itself, which we did last week and now today things going to take us through kind of beginning to end and where's that leave us now so thing thanks so much for taking the time to join us anytime for you and your audience paul thank you thing let's start with this what does acquittal actually mean it simply means that the president of the united states in this instance will not be removed from office that the charges, which are embodied in two articles of impeachment, one for abuse of power, the second for obstruction of Congress, that the Senate trial did not, by under reasonable doubt or whatever standard we're applying here, did not provide the evidence to, to remove him from office, which would have pronounced him essentially guilty of, the, of those two articles of impeachment. So that from the perspective of the Senate, served as the jurors, 
the, there wasn't sufficient proof to establish those two articles of impeachment. And so, therefore, in this case, unlike a court of law where a conviction would have, sent, would have resulted in a prison sentence, here the conviction would have resulted in removal from office. Okay. And, so, and so essentially all we're hearing is that because the president was acquitted, because the, the, the jurors of this Senate trial were not able to say uh, two-thirds of them, remember, that would have required 67 of them, right. would have had to say that the evidence was sufficient to establish that the president had violated those two, was guilty of those two articles of impeachment, and therefore the remedy is to remove from office. That's just what the acquittal means. So let's start. Today's let's talk. Yard, let's talk legal yardstick, Thane. When we say evidence, are we talking the beyond a reasonable doubt? Are we talking about in the civil case like preponderance of the evidence? What are we talking about? A very good question. Again, from the very first day you and I spoke about this, right. I think many of your listeners were surprised. You know, there, there's no precedent when it comes to these trials. This trial, the Senate, the Founding Fathers, not unlike many other things they did, they drove us nuts with our founding documents. You know, for instance, Thomas Jefferson never told us what pursuit of happiness means. Right. right? We never it was a, it's a great line. We don't know what it means. Does it mean that <laughs> citizens can, it, can pursue their happiness and run over other citizens in their pursuit of it? Right. As you know from, from the Super Bowl, right. linebackers are in pursuit. Pursuit is a very aggressive word. Right. right? So when you're pursuing your happiness, that's a very serious thing. When right. you're chasing your happiness, does that mean I can run over you that's to get so my true. happiness over so, so they drove us nuts. They, they created high crimes and misdemeanors, but they didn't tell us what it is. They left it open. So, for instance, when Bill Clinton lied under oath, was that a high crime and misdemeanor? The Senate, in the end, said it wasn't. Uh, when Andrew Johnson, during the very first presidential impeachment trial, uh, when he, the, there was a question there that he overridden Congress's authority uh, by firing someone who couldn't have been fired under a statute that Congress had just passed that would have kept that job, person's job, in, the Secretary of War, in office by firing him. Was that a high crime in misdemeanor? Uh, here, uh, a phone call to a foreign elite president in which discussions were about the corruption within their government, uh, which, in the end, that investigation might have led to a political benefit and eliminated President Trump's main rival, the, uh, Joe Biden, even if that's exactly what he was trying to do. Is that a high crime misdemeanor? Right. We, we don't know. And that's, you so see, and that's, that's, that's the thing, Thane, that, that I really, um, I think is so important for the American people to know, is that, it's like you said in, in, the, in our first interview uh, on this particular subject, and, and you said, in their eyes. And that's what I ask everyone right. to really kind of sit back for a second, wherever you are right now, if you're at your computer, if you're on the train, if you're in the car, no matter where you're at, think about that. In your eyes is the benchmark of what Thane is sharing with us right now regarding the yardstick of how evidence is evaluated in an impeachment proceeding in the United States. Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, same thing. Next question, Thane. What is the significance historically, 
What is the significance of Senator Romney voting against the president? Well, it's a good point. You had a nice lead in for that in his eyes. Right. Right. Uh, here was up until now. Uh, again, are these fair trials? Well, the, the, the situation was set up by our founding fathers that they're not fair trials from the beginning. Why? Because the jurors don't come into the trial impartial. They come in as Republicans and Democrats or whatever party they would be. Right. Right. So they don't unlike a juror where they can, you know, during voir dire, your jury instruction before you select selection, before you select the jury, the whole process is to root out jurors with a bias. Well, there's no way to do that in these Senate trials. They all come in biased. In this instance, you had, you know, you had a majority of senators who were already Republicans. Until this trial, the party stayed united so that if the president's party was the majority in the Senate, he would be acquitted. That's what happened in the end to Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, except for this one time. And this one time, one of the senators, who is a Republican, defected from the party and voted alongside with the Democrats. That had never happened before. So that establishes, I guess, a new precedent to some degree. Uh, but so that's the only significance of that. I mean, it, look, there may be political ramifications to to Senator Romney in Utah or in, you know, we, we're hearing now that he that the president's son is saying well, he should be thrown out of the party. Those are different kinds of consequences. Right. But it, the, the main significance here is that up until this date, we've never had a, 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 the majority. Again, it's all based on. I mean, look, what's the real takeaway, Paul? Right. Here's the real takeaway. Right. Here's the real takeaway that if you if your if the president's party is in power in the Senate. He's very hard to remove. We've now seen that three times. Exactly. Right? That's the main. So, that's the and, main precedent. And, and I'm going to and I'm going to come back to that, Dane. Yeah. I'm going to come back to that in, in in a second because I'm really left, and I think there are a lot of a lot of Americans also, Dane, are left with a very uncertain, very bitter, somewhat bitter, but a, um, a certain degree or a large degree of trepidation over. What comes next? But I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to come back to that. Next, what I wanted to ask you is, you are a historian. You are a legal scholar. You study the Constitution. You know the Constitution. And in concert with that, you have to be a historian in order to do that. It, so much respect for you in that regard. Was I watched this. Now, you and I have talked about this, and everyone listening knows, you know, I don't take a political side. I shoot right down the middle. That's it, you know. Good, bad, or indifferent. I found two things here. I found the behavior of the House and the Senate. I found the behavior of our elected officials, for the most part, to be petulant, to say the very least. But when I saw what happened at the conclusion of the speech, that really that made me take a step back. I was surprised. And my question is, was the dignity, historically, was the dignity of the House compromised when Speaker Pelosi tore up the speech, being that that's a constitutional document, by the way, right? It's the official document that was signed by the president. Was the dignity of the House compromised? And 
with respect to the integrity of that document, was that compromised? It's a really good question. Again, I, I, I'll, I'll go back to the founding fathers. We look, it was horrible optics, right? Horrible, uh, incredibly disrespectful. Uh, again, he apparently the president, when she gave him his her hand, he refused to shake it. You know, so we we obviously see there's there's no love lost between right. them. Right. But but again, these the impeachment process from its inception is political in nature. It's not legal in nature. Right. So from my perspective, the ground rules of like an Article Three courtroom don't exist. None of it. The decorum, right? We you know we know from watching television. You're out of order. You're out of order. Right. Everyone right. has to maintain a certain level of decorum in a, in an Article Three uh, court of law. Uh, under our Constitution. This is just a whole, yes, should senators and legislators and presidents can, can d- treat one another with more mutual, res- mutual respect and dignity? Yes. But again, it is a political process. What you were describing itself, petulance on both sides, whenever the party managers or the lawyers, they were all speaking the language of politics as much as they were the language of law, right. right? They were really arguing the politics of this story as much as anything else. So that, for instance, you know, this is why the the arguments themselves were very difficult to unpack, right? But historically, though, called? but Thane, historically, yeah. and this is just to clear this up because, again, this is being flowed, floated out in, in a number of different, you know, media channels right now. The speech that the president delivers, the, the written document that he signs, is that, is that a constitutional document? Is that supposed to be handled in a certain way, stored in a certain way, archived in a certain way? What is the truth about that? It, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, you know, this is not, it's hit with a copy, right? It's not the, it's not the authentic, the only, it's not the original, so to speak. Well, I was told it was so, the yeah. I, I was told it was the original that he gave her. Well, I mean, but so Pence had one too, right? He handed them both. So when he he handed that was handed to both. So in theory, you know, in theory, uh, it, it's a copy. So the only thing that would really matter is well, the one he read from. Yeah, I mean, in theory, okay. right? Exactly. In theory, yes, it's symbolically. You know, we know this in the law. Sometimes like an agreement says there are three originals and they're being handed to three different right parties. Got it. Each of them are in possession of an original. That's sort of what you saw here, right? That here's the speech. I have it. You have it. He has it. And, the, and this is what I'm going to be reading. Um, <clears throat> you know, if anything, what was interesting in a way is I would have thought if she was going to make that statement in front of the entire country, World. At least make that world, exactly. Right. Make that statement if he used the speech to undermine the impeachment process. You know, he didn't say a word, right? right. So, you know, she was just rejecting what he said, period. Yeah. She rejected him as he, she rejected the legitimacy of his presidency and she rejected the, 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 the integrity of the things that he was trying to say, whether you believed in him or not. I can tell One you, thing that I think surprised us is that he did not refer to the impeachment, right? He did not right. take well, a shot at them. Wh- and because know, he didn't take a shot at them, that's what made me 
it made it surprising to me that she'd use that gesture. Well, I can tell you, right, it was historically, yeah. I've looked over this historically, never before, and, and my analyst went through all the archives, never before has a speaker not introduced the president, whether they liked him or not, whether they're with him or not, didn't make a difference, in such, in, in such a cold and barren way, which is number one. But two, as I look at this, and, and forget about my position, but just as an American citizen, I was shocked because she lowered herself to such a point she will never come back from. In front of the world, she acted like a little girl and a child by tearing up an official document and doing so on television with the world watching as the Speaker of the House. I mean, Thane, that's the number third person in, in succession of the throne here in the United States, right? That's, if, yeah. if the President goes and the Vice President goes, she's parking in the Oval. And, and you know what? Well, you know, as, you're right. And, and Thane is an American citizen. As I travel abroad, that's embarrassing. As a document, I, well, I get other, your point. I get your point. It either is or it isn't. Well, there is you know? one other thing, which was that it has been, I mean, it depends on how one looks at this. For for very long time, even during the campaign for 2016 presidential election, the argument always was, even Jeb Bush made this point, Donald Trump is not presidential, right? You know, this was the argument all along. Well, there was a moment there where Nancy Pelosi was not serving. In, there was not a dignity to that role. Oh, my God. She destroyed her role. In, yeah. Right. She, so she, I'm saying that if, you know, this is the, the irony is that we hear so often from Democrats that the problem with our president is he doesn't know how to conduct himself in a presidential way. And now we've seen that actually, you know, if, if you scrutinize the Democrats, you see petulance, you see a kind of behavior that also now I guess the Democrats will say, well, you know, President Trump has so eroded the boundaries of what constitutes decorum in, in political discourse that, look, we, we, he's got us doing it now. Look what we Well, you know, I don't know. So, you know what? No one's responsible for her other than her. You know, I, she's I, the I speaker of the house. I, I mean, his. I agree. We, you know, one of the things. I mean, you know, Thane. We here's the the crazy part about this, right? I mean, I my, obviously my legal knowledge pales in comparison to yours, but but I'm founded in the law. I'm grounded in the law. We are a nation of laws. I remember one of my legal professors uh, at John Jay said the reason that we are a great nation is because we are a nation of laws. You know, and and then we talk about this impeachment proceeding. And what I've learned from you is how inherently unfair it is and how basically con basically political it is by all legal right. terms. Right. We just said the founding father says the hell with the law, even though we're a nation of laws. We're just going to do it this well, way. Well, right. That's well, that's what I said about early study. You know, the founding fathers. This is not the first time they've made us crazy. <laughs> this is. This is, you know, the, no, it's, the it's, amendments themselves don't say enough but, of what they are, right? The, the First Amendment's freedom of speech could conflict with the First Amendment's freedom of religion. Well, what were we supposed to do about that? Well, right. we've, we've had, you know, decades of Supreme Court decisions trying to reconcile that, right? Well, so, you know, the, the First it, Amendment says a lot, but it's very short. So much so, of this begs so the question. So here's an thing, example. They have an right? impeachment proceedings that they didn't give us ground rules for. And now you see the chaos 
and what it looks like. That's going to lead end, in. That's going to. That's going to lead into my close about where we're leaving this off because believe it or not, America is confused. Now, I was driving to a meeting in Palm Beach yesterday. Beautiful weather there, by the way. Thing you should have been with me. Beautiful weather. Absolutely <laughs> gorgeous day. I'm not rubbing it in because I I know you're in <laughs> cold New York right now, but. Uh, I'm driving down there. I'm having a conversation with my best friend, Ed, and he and I are talking about this whole thing. And Eddie brought up a point and he said, you know what? I was surprised that the president didn't shake hands with the speaker. And maybe that had something to do with, you know, the way she acted, you know. And, and, and Ed is a, is a huge public servant, retired from New York City Department of Corrections, you know, very successful guy you know, and a, a conservative Republican and as great a guy as you'll ever meet. And I said to him, you know, I, I, I could see that maybe, right? But then by the same token, we look at the president and, and, and this kind of piggybacks on what you were saying. So many people say he's not presidential. He's a, And he describes himself as a Queens kid, right? Well, maybe he looked right. at it like, look, I'm just going to be real about this. I'm just not going to shake your hand. I don't know whether that's presidential. It's not presidential. Whether what she did, all of that being said, in the totality of what we saw, the word petulant still rings through to me. And I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll say, add this one part. One of the things that I'm really critical of in our society is how we iconicize athletes and entertainers. Just because the guy made a movie, all of a sudden, he, you know, we need to listen to him. And we, we look up to athletes that do abhorrent behavior, right? Well, our elected officials are what our kids are aspiring to. I wonder what lessons our kids learn by watching this, which leads me to my, my, last, my, my, my next to the last question. Thane, has the manner in which this process matured, has that set a dangerous precedent in our society, especially as it relates to where the Founding Fathers set us off? That's an excellent question. Um, one thought is that, I mean, it depends on your view. You could say this process makes you think that it's a mistake to ever bring these impeachment cases. Uh, because if the Senate has, a, if the president has a majority of his party in the Senate, the trial is really before the nation. It's not before the Senate. We have to remember, that's what this was about. This was an opportunity for the Democrats to make their case against President Trump for the 2020 election. No one going into this trial believed that he could be removed from office because he had such a majority already and that it would have required a half a dozen defections from the Democrats for him to reach for them to reach 67 senators. It was impossible. So the only reason to do it is to have as essentially a show trial for the American public to sort of to give them an edge in, remo in essentially removing the president 10 months from now during the election. So one question is whether this this trial, the impeachment and the trial, would dissuade future uh, legislators from even entertaining it. Because remember, Pelosi originally wanted to do this. The impeachment proceeding, investigate, launch the investigation during the after the Mueller report. Right, she was pushed right. by the progressive wing of the Democrats. They were pushing her. Right. She said, "No, no, no, let's not do that because this will guarantee the re-election of Donald Trump." It was after this July 25th phone call and the whistleblower 
that she got pushed again, and this time she went in. History will decide, depending upon what happens in this election, whether or not that was a fateful decision, right, that this essentially handed the president another political victory. Why? Because it's not a legal trial. It's a political trial. So in this case, because he was guaranteed to be acquitted, it would be a vindication, and the country would see him being vindicated. Right again, it's not a legal trial. It was a show trial in front of the country. It was political at its source. So, you know, the question is, you know, one thing is true. It either will make the Senate and House uh, acquittal happy, right? I mean, I'm sorry, uh, impeachment Impeachment happy. happy. They'll want to do it again. Right. Well, let's keep doing this. Every time we every time there's a president, we don't like him or her. We'll we'll launch an investigation. Remember, you know, it took look how many hundreds of years or 250 years in in business here Mm -hmm. in the United States. We've only had three, but we had two within 20 years of each other. Right. Right. And now it could it could happen that we have them every election or every other election. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. But the other lesson, Paul, right, but the other lesson, Paul, is that this thing blows up in your face, right? Right. That if you launch these impeachment proceedings, you have to think, did did Nancy Pelosi get pushed into this? She maybe knew better. She didn't want to do it after Mueller. She wouldn't have done it after the Zelensky call. She got pushed, and maybe this blew up in her face. So on the one hand, it introduces a, a new vogue. What's in vogue? Impeachment becomes in vogue. On the other hand, well, there's risk, right? Well, and the question know, is, we'll learn what the risk is. We'll learn, right? We'll see. Remember, now Jerry Nadler wants to call Bolton before his committee. You know uh, what that's going to do? You know that's what? Extending the impeach- it's extending the impeachment process. Does that help Donald Trump by letting him say, yeah, look, they still can't. They can't. They're such sore losers. Jerry Nadler needs to be removed from office. Seriously. He's toxic. (laughs) You know, Uh, I've lost all respect for him. You know, what's interesting is and it's interesting you say that because I've heard a number of people use that term as far as Nancy Pelosi being pushed. Right. And my response to that is if that were the case, then she clearly is too weak of character to be the Speaker of the House and the third in succession for the Oval Office. And maybe we need maybe we need to do a better job at electing the right people and selecting those that are in significant positions to run this country. And why I say that, Thane, is again, apart from what I do for this country, that's 40 years, as an American citizen, my message to elected officials is you work for me. It's a temp job at best. So stop thinking you should be doing what I don't want you to do, you know? And I am appalled when I look at kids in school and what are they looking at and what are they thinking when they see this? And, you know, I've I've heard this so many times about Nancy Pelosi, and I am not not piling on Pelosi. I do not want to say that. I am not, all right? She's a very, very smart lady. She's a very successful person. She's been an incredible public servant in many regards to our country, okay? And no one is a good enough person to condemn anybody else because no one's perfect. I get all that, and I'm with you on that. But maybe we need to do a better job at selecting who's speaker. Maybe we need to drill down more on who we elect to be president and who we elect to sit in the House and the Senate. Well, you know, you've called my attention in a much stronger way, and I appreciate that, and your audience, I think, will appreciate it too, is, let us not forget the optics of that evening showed you that she's third in line. 
you can just see what's there. There's the president, there's the vice president, and then there's the Speaker of the House. Right. Those are the only faces that the world will see. That's where the cameras are pointed. That just the world did see. They, right. So that, right, and that's the and they know that they know that they're what they do up there is going to be projected look, to the world. And right. so your point is to say, let us not forget. You're not just Speaker of the House. You're third in line. That could be your job. If Thane so, Rosenbaum, as an, as an acclaimed legal scholar, went to Oxford to lecture, how embarrassing would it be if people asked you about, well, you know, the third in line, and that's how they behave? I know. I, I'm looking at it like, and I don't want to pile on because I don't like when anyone does that. But my point here... Last question, before I come to my last question, which probably is most important to me personally, but my last question before that is, America's sitting back right now, Thane, and they're saying, what should we expect? And you know what? You've answered that. And the answer is, we simply don't know. Are we going to be impeachment happy? Or are we going to learn from right. this? Are we going to, and I, and I will add one thing before my last question, food for thought, Love to come. I would love, actually, if, if you ever had time to fit this question in to one of your lectures at school, because I'd love to hear the students respond to this. But as we reflect on this, I think as Americans, we need to hold a mirror up and reflect on ourselves first. Because at the end of the day, Thane, we put them in that position. We elected the president as a country. We elected the House and the Senate as a country, and we do a poor job at best in holding them to task. So maybe we need to accept a little responsibility too about holding people's feet to fire and making them be more concerned with doing their job than keeping their job. Maybe we need and, to- And the no. question is, are, do, are we only asking them to, are we only asking them to deliver political leadership are we, are we also asking them to deliver moral leadership? And that's a question that we've never really resolved. But we need to resolve it, Thane. We need to resolve it. You know yeah, why? We, we've never really resolved because it. Because it's a very confused. For many people, it's very confusing. Some people will say, look, I don't really care who, what, what kind of a person they are. I'm only looking for results. I want to see how the economy does. Right. I want to make sure that we have a strong military. I don't care what kind of a person they are. And there's some people who say, no, no, I, I, I want my children to emulate the, okay. pre the president and, and the speaker of the house. And I want them to also exercise moral leadership because that's an, that's a sign of character. Right. And I want that as well being displayed in my government officials. And you know, how we answer that question thing. We ask everyone one question, forget about politics. When you are deciding on an individual that will, that will represent your family name, what goes into that decision? What characteristics does that person mm -hmm. have to have before they represent the Rosenbaum name, the Violist name, whatever it may be? And I can tell you right now, Thane, I can tell you right now, before you represent my family name, you can bet I'm going to make sure you're qualified to, make, to, to represent the dignity and, and integrity of that name. Maybe we need I to sprinkle, right? If you're going to have somebody yeah, represent your, your wonderful family name, the rich history of the Rosenbaum family, you're going to make sure they're, they're entitled, they're qualified to represent that name. Maybe we need to look at ourselves a little bit 
as we start to as we start to really kind of digest this whole impeachment proceeding, maybe we need to do a better job at holding politicians' feet to the fire. I was speaking, I had the pleasure and the honor of speaking in the Congressional Auditorium, spectacular venue, by the way, on yes. human trafficking and sex trafficking. I was emceeing an event from the Safe House Project, beautiful event, by the way. And that, that was my closing on that. We need wow. to do a better job at making sure our elected officials are more concerned with doing their job than keeping their job. But with that, yeah, let's talk compelling. let's talk thing, let's talk saving free speech from itself. Now, my good friend Thane Rosenbaum is a very humble guy, so I'm gonna tell you that once again he has created an an, an incredible piece of literature. The name of the book Saving Free Speech from Itself. It is going to be released on March seventeenth. Thane, uh, hopefully you're going to come back on, tell us a little bit more about the book and where they can buy it and everything else. But, you know, give us a 60-second soundbite here on saving free speech from itself and when it's going to be released and how they can get it. Well, thank you, Paul. I hope to come back and talk about this Absolutely. book more uh, extensively. So uh, the question goes back to the Founding Fathers. What did they think free speech meant and how have we abused it? And one question I ask in the book is, what would George Washington think if he knew that the Constitution would, it was entitling neo-Nazis to march on a hamlet of Holocaust survivors in Skokie, Illinois? What would he think if he thought that the American flag under the First Amendment was uh, permitted to be burned, uh, uh, set on fire, let's say in front of a family that lost their uh, son or daughter in battle? Uh, what would he say? if the First Amendment was being used, free speech was used, to allow a church group that's opposed to homosexuals uh, serving in the military could protest at a military funeral and can ruin the one opportunity that a father had to say goodbye to his son who served this country in battle. Uh, what, would, what would George Washington say if he, was, if he was told that the free speech clause of the First Amendment allows uh, a Klan to burn a cross uh, on, the ho on the lawn of an African-American? Well, the answer is the First Amendment is protecting all of that, and, it's, and, and no other liberal democracy, forget, we're talking about democracies, just like our country, Western democracies throughout Europe would never permit any of this. They wouldn't have one moment of it. If you're a neo-Nazi and you want to march with, with the flag of the Third Reich, they will march you in, in Germany and in Austria, right to prison. That's where you get marched. Uh, and the question is, what is it about our country that makes us an outlier that protects that kind of hateful behavior, clearly examples of hate speech? What makes the French, the, Europe, uh, the Germans, the Euro United Kingdom more focused on human dignity? You know, there's a really great quote, and I'll leave you with this thought. Lyndon Johnson's quote was, a man has a right to go outside of his house with his children and not be humiliated. I love that. Wow. Has a right to take his children outside yeah. and not be humiliated. You know why? Because what I talk about in this book, Paul, is what does citizenship mean? And I'll tell you one thing it means. It means that I should be able to leave my house with my kids and not be humiliated in front of my kids. And the French wouldn't put up with it. The Germans, they're all democracies. They're just like us. We put up with it. And the question is, 
Why? Does that make us better that we do? Or does it make us worse? And this book takes a really hard look. Wow, I can't wait to read this thing. Well, thank you, Paul. Where can, I, where can we pick it up? All, every bookstore will have it. Amazon will have God it. God bless you. God bless you, my friend. That's fantastic. I'm so proud well, of you. I'm so you, happy Paul. for you. Uh, and, and it'll be released in every bookstore March 17th, correct? You can actually probably buy it on Amazon now, and they'll send it to you on March 17th. Then I will do that. And um, God willing, <laughs> you will agree to come back on prior to March 17th so we can um, talk more about the book in great detail. And I, as a brief, and, and one of the main reasons everyone needs to understand this, you've heard me talk about hate crime. You've heard me talk about um, hate crime groups and, and a variety of the things that go on in this country. At the center of that that impedes law enforcement so often is free speech. speech? When they can get involved, speech? when they can't. Free speech. Yeah. Right? So you Everybody's know what? saying, hey, you may think it's violent, it, it, but it's not. It's political. And I have a right uh, under the First Amendment to my speech need, to be political. Right. We need to read this book. And actually, I'm going to tell you a thing. I need to get a couple of copies and send them to some senators and congressmen. I know. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, as always, my friend, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. We've had the pleasure of CBS, you, CBS News Radio legal analyst, legal scholar, but more important, not more importantly, but equally, my friend, Dane Rosenbaum. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us. The next week, we've got a huge cold case coming in from another part of the country. Have a great week. Be safe. Be well. God bless. Thanks for listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. Seth, I'm going to do the, um, uh, the teaser now. This week on Security Matters, the acquittal of President Donald J. Trump. My conversation with Thane Rosenbaum, CBS legal analyst, and an in-depth discussion. What exactly happened, but more importantly, what can we expect in the future? Don't miss this one. Thanks for listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.